this joy that I have. Well, you know the world didn't give it to me. Oh, this this joy, joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, you know the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. That's a wonderful medley and melody too. It's, uh, you can sing it forwards and backwards and forwards and backwards again. Amen. Amen. It's good to worship the Lord. Sure enjoyed the service this morning. God bless you, Brother Moses. That was a piece of the master. Amen. I sure appreciated that. And the headship is here. Amen. We're speaking of Brother John in the back office. We're talking about it. You know, it's when Brother Bannon was here, the, the eyes were here, the prophet, the vision, the seer. But now we've moved beyond that. God's taken that away. We've got the message, but the intelligence has come. Amen. It's moved beyond. You can't just figure it out and see it and go to a man, but it's got to be God. Give it by sovereign revelation. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be a part of the body of Christ, isn't it? I want to welcome you all to the house of the Lord again, and amen. Good to see you, Brother Ed. I, good to meet you, Brother Ed. God bless you. Amen. And uh, little Sister Sayla, she must be downstairs, but Sister Sayla, oh, there she is there, Sayla Brook Joy. Amen. It's always good when the body of Christ grows. Whether one is saved or whether one gets born by natural birth, we want them all to come to a second birth. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Thank you for the musicians and Brother John. God bless you. Brother Andrew, God bless you for that special. Sister Sharon, amen. We're so blessed, aren't we? Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of John, John chapter 6. We had a wonderful time on Friday night, and it was the last young people's service for the summer, at least here at the church, and then we're so happy that we had an opportunity to gather together. It was a little bit cooler that night, too. It was the cool of the evening. We're just getting there now, but uh, thank the Lord for the windows we have, and that we're not canceled and sitting at home again. How many are happy you're not sitting at home streaming in? God bless you to those that are sitting at home streaming in. We wish you were here as well. We really do. But we're happy to be here, those of us that can be. And uh, amen. Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer while we just approach this subject. And Amen. How many have a need on their heart? They want to say, Lord, just come by my pew tonight. I'd like to speak with you. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. But Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you loved us first. For Father, we couldn't have ever come except you drew us. And Lord, you called us. You predestinated us before the foundation of the world. And Lord, we're so happy, Lord, that we could come and we could worship. Lord, we're even happy when we can just 
sit down when we're not able to come by government regulations, but we can sit in our living room and turn on a computer and create an atmosphere and invite you into our room, Lord, and pray that you would come and speak to our heart no matter where we are. Lord, we know that you're an omnipresent God, Lord. The Father Walls knows no boundaries, but Lord, you go beyond this room. You go into where we're at, Lord, for you look upon the hearts of men. Lord, we just commit ourselves to you, commit this service to you. We ask that you'd have the preeminence. Thank you for the worship, the music, Lord. Father, it wasn't just us, Lord, that was doing it, Lord Jesus, but you put a little something within us, the Holy Spirit that would just cry out and long to worship your holy name. Father, now we pray you'd come by each pew, Lord, and speak to us, Lord. We desire to hear your voice, not the words of a man but the voice behind the voice. So, Father, we commit it to you and pray you'd help me just to get myself aside. Lord Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John chapter 6 and verse 35. It says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Amen. If you've ever tasted of that, you can say amen. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Thank you, Lord. For I am come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me. Let me ask you, whose, whose will is it? It's the Father's will. It's not our will. It's not the will of the preacher. It's the Father's will. This is the will of the Father which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last days. And this is the will of him that has sent me, and every one that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last days. If you jump down to verse 44, it says this, And no man can come unto me except my Father which hath drawn, which hath sent me, draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Jump down to verse 61. And it says this, it says, When Jesus knew in himself the disciples murmured at it, and he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up from where he was before? <laughs> it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Amen. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Jump to verse 65 for a moment and it says, For therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. Now back up to the verse before. It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning. What beginning was that? Not the beginning of his ministry. 
when he just started and all of a sudden he had a vision and said, oh, this is the ones that will believe. No, he knew from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He knew then. And he knew who would, who they were that would believe not and who should betray him. May the Lord add his blessing to the Word. You may have your seats. I find that absolutely phenomenal scripture. Here's Jesus who knew from the beginning who would betray him. He knew those who would not believe. And yet he still watched over the lineage of Judas. Yet he still made sure that Judas was there. He made sure that nothing got in the way that Judas would be there because God had a purpose. God had a plan that he knew that it had to happen a certain way. He knew who it was from the beginning who would not believe and who would betray him. But I want to go to the positive as well and say it this way that this for this the Father's will, this is the Father's will which has sent me that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. Amen. He won't lose anything that God gave him. That's not saying there won't be some that come and sit for a season and leave. There will be those, but all that the Father gave him. I won't lose one. Amen. It's not about, let me say it this way, it's not about who starts the race. It's not about who begins. It's not about who starts believing. It's not about who starts on their Christian walk. It's about who finishes. It's about who makes it to the end. And he says, the ones that the Father gave me, I won't lose one. And I will raise them up in the last days. There will be a resurrection. And every one that the Father gave me will come up in the resurrection. And those that are still alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. He won't lose one. Amen. It's not our plan. It's not our will. It's not our design. We didn't sit down before the foundation of the world. We were just an attribute in the mind of God. We only influenced his thinking in a way that he said, I'm going to bring this one to maturity to receive the light for their day. That was the influence we have upon him. But rather it was his design to be sure that that individual was there. And he so proved his justness and his, the, 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 the beauty of his plan. That even though he knew Judas would betray him, he made sure that Judas was there. Even though he knew that Eve would fall, he didn't make her a part of the original creation. He made her a byproduct of the man because he knew that was the only way she could fall. Because if she was part of the original, she could not have fell that way. But God had to make it in a way so that he could perform his purpose. So that his purpose, according to election, might stand. Praise be to God. Election isn't much of election if everybody makes it. Could you imagine if they, if they have an election for the next prime minister and everybody that runs wins? You want to talk about election fraud? There's a fraud. Something went wrong somewhere. There's a glitch in the matrix. Something ain't right. How could these things be? You'd say it's, something, it's totally wrong. That's not an election. But God purposed by election. 
It had to be some that weren't going to make it. There had to be some that weren't going to make it. There had to be some, but their brethren would class them in classifications and say there are those who are written on the Lamb's book of life. They are predestinated before the foundation of the world. There are those whose names are on the book of life, and they will be there at the white throne judgment, and they will find life eternal. And there are those who were names were, and they will be blotted out like Judas. And there are also those like Pharaoh who were raised up for a purpose. And the purpose was to perform the will of God in such a negative way that God didn't even write their name. Yeah. Oh my. Well, the Bible says their names were probably recorded somewhere, but it wasn't on the book of life. Yeah. I want to speak and tonight my title is His Purpose Shall Stand. His purpose shall stand. The enemy wants to do everything he possibly can to ensure it doesn't happen because he knows if his purpose stands, that means he ends up in the lake of fire. That means that he is defeated. That means that he has no purpose outside of being a pinprick in this, our side. But God is so certain that his purpose will stand, that he did not just leave it up to happen chance, but God left nothing to chance. He said in the message, things that are to be, he said, you are all pre-planned by God. Nothing happens by chance with God. He knows all about it. It's all pre-planned, planned for the many generations back so that you would be here tonight. What was pre-planned? Not all of our mistakes. God knew about all those things. He knew it, but he wasn't planning that you would do things because that would make him evil. But he gave you a free moral agency knowing where you would be at tonight. But he says in Revelations chapter 3, he says, as many as I love, in verse 19, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Sometimes we like to take this Verse, and we like to put it to such a harsh meaning. It says, I rebuke and I chasten, and we like to get in there and say, I, Andrew, will rebuke. No, Jesus is talking. Let me go to one more place, and we'll come right back there. Mark chapter 13. I just need to drop this in as a foundation, and then we'll get to it later. But chapter 13, verse 19 says, For in those days shall be affliction. Such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And, the, and except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Amen. Hallelujah. We look at it and say, how long is it going to go on? God says, I'm shortening the days for your sake. Because I've purposed that you will be there. He says, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, here he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. That's the pre-planning of God. Because I foretold you all, nothing escapes my view. Nothing that is, shall be, or will come will ever escape my view. I know the troubles. I know he knew about COVID. 
All right? He knew about what the prime minister would be. He knew who the president would be. He knew what Israel would be doing right now. He knew what kind of sin and debauchery would be in the world. But he also knew that you would be seated here tonight. You might be a visitor here. He knew you were here tonight. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to Revelation 3.19 for a moment. Where it says, and Brother Brennan would pick it up in the church age book. And he'd say, let us examine the first phrase in the Laodicean church age. as many as I love. In the Greek, the emphasis is upon the personal pronoun. I. He does not say as many as would feel. He should say as many as love me. No, sir. It doesn't leave it up to us. How we feel. What we think. Our thought processor, where we're at today, how we feel that we're going to make it or we're not going to make it. God didn't leave it to that. He said, as many as I, that's the emphasis, I love. We must never try to make Jesus the object of human love in this verse. No, it is as many as that are the loved ones of God. It is his love in question, not ours. Hallelujah. I'm so happy it in our loving question. The days we're feeling down and we think, God, there's no way that he loves me. And I've so failed him and there's no way I should even be a Christian. It's not what's in question. God's not basing your salvation on that. He's basing it on as many as I, the Lord Jesus, love. So once again, we find ourselves glorifying in his salvation, his purpose, and his plan. You're not here by your plan. You didn't get saved by your plan. You didn't find God by your plan. Neither did your children, neither did your parents. It's not by your plan. You might have had planned parenthood. (laughs) That you thought, I'm going to have a child at this time. That didn't bring them to God. Oh my. It was his purpose and still is, and his plan. And we are confirmed even more strongly in the truth of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Even as he said in Romans 9, 13, Jacob have I loved. Oh, does it now obtain that since he loved only the many? (laughs) Is there therefore a state of complacency awaiting the love as those who have not drawn nigh him? By no means is this so. He's saying, listen, it's not about I love the many, as many as I love, that there's a whole bunch of them that I love, all the many. No, he says, as many as I love, but what's he talking about? Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. There was two, he only took one. Because he only needs one. And that was his purpose. And in verse 11, the Spirit boldly calls out for the children not being born neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Hallelujah. It's not about how good we can do it, but that the purpose of God according to election might stand, neither having done any good or evil. You might have come from the worst background or the best background. You might have the best future or the worst future ahead of you. It doesn't matter to God. Not the works, him that calleth this love is elective love. It's elective love. It is his love 
for his elect. I love how Brother Branham, when he's, when he's writing this and when he's speaking in the church ages and he's writing in the church age book, he keeps using the personal pronouns, I, his, he, me. Why? Because it's a personal relationship that God is desiring to have with an elected seed. He's not God above, it's God in you. He was once God above us, then he was God with us. But now, it's God in us. Oh my, his love for them is apart from human merit. For it says that the purpose of God stands in election, which is exactly opposite to works or anything man has in himself, because before the children were born, he had already said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. But now he says of his own, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. To rebuke means to reprove. To reprove is to expose with the view of correction. Amen. I'll ask you again, who does this? I. As many as I, Jesus, love by my election, I expose by the word. Of Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even dividing asunder of soul and spirit to the joints of marriage as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He, the word, is still today more than capable of exposing the wrong with the view of correction, not the view of embarrassment. With the view of correction in mind so that you could stand correctly on the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. Chasten does not mean to punish. It means to discipline because the subject's amendment is in mind. Huh. How often we get that view that because God chastens us, we need to pay something for our faults. Like some kind of a penance <laughs> To make up or pay for our wrong. Christ already paid for it. He already paid it at Calvary. The payment's already been done. If you'd go back to the bank after you paid off your mortgage and say, I want to give you more money for that mortgage, they'll look at you like you're crazy. It's already paid off. Why are you trying to give me more money? I mean, they'd probably take it nowadays. But my goodness, they we're not going to put it on the mortgage because it's already paid off. It's at zero. So is it with our account? He paid it in full. We don't have to keep going and paying back and paying back. That's nothing but a Catholic dogma that's brought up to keep the people in, in bondage. God is a liberator, and he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He's not a bondage and an oppressor. Oh, hallelujah. His purpose is to bring your thoughts, your actions, your works subject to the spirit that has quickened those whom he loves. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4 would say that it's for, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That we were subject to our fathers for a time and they disciplined according to their ways and their pleasure. But God for our profit. Not because he wanted to get a belt out and get a conveyor belt with a handle on it and whip us. No, because God for our profit. He desired that you would come up a little higher so we had to discipline you. 
Herein is now set forth the love of God. I'm still in the church age book. He desired in love a family of his own. A family of sons like himself. There you go. A family requires children. For anybody who was wondering that. A family, he desired a family of sons, sons like himself. There before him lies one, all mankind as one lump of clay. All of mankind. Not here's the good ones and here the bad ones. No, all mankind. What does he do with this lump of clay? He takes some of them out as vessels of, unto honor and some of them as vessels unto dishonor. Before that, you look at it, Brother Bannon would talk about a sinner doesn't sin. A sinner can't backslide. If you're at the bottom of the hill, you can't go further down. You're already at the bottom. You've got to climb up some before you can slide back down. A sinner doesn't sin. That's just his nature. Paul would say that uh, when the law came, sin revived and I died. Something had to show them that they were wrong. Something had to show them that there was something to believe in in order to expose their unbelief because the word of God comes and as many as I love, I rebuke. Or in other words, I expose them for their correction by the word of God. But he takes all mankind and he begins to sort through it. And he begins to say, this one's a vessel of honor. This one's a vessel of dishonor. And the choosing is his own choosing. Oh, hallelujah. The choosing is God's own choosing. A vessel of dishonor can't look and say, but I think I'm something else. It's up to the potter to make it what it is. Hallelujah. James chapter 2 and verse 1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respects of person. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and a goodly apparel, and there come and also a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. And say unto him, sit thou here in the good place. And say to the poor, you stand there. Or sit here under my footstool. Oh my. Or are you not then partial in yourselves and ye become judges of evil thoughts? God doesn't look at it and say, oh, you were just a bad mistake. No, he says, you become judges of evil thoughts. You've taken someone's outward appearance and you've decided to judge them by their outward appearance as to who they are in my eyes. But I'm not looking on the outside. I'm looking at the heart because I know who will receive. And all that the Father has given me, I won't lose one. Whether it's the man in the gay clothing or the one in the vile clothing isn't important to you. It's important to God. Because it's God's choosing. He goes on in the church age books, he says this, then those chosen ones, chosen ones, born of his spirit, will be trained to conform to his image in their walk. We could literally take the rest of the service right there, talk about the tutor of the Holy Ghost. This isn't talking about those who are chosen when they walked in perverse ways and their members were members of unrighteousness. God was molding them then. No, he says, fill with the Holy Ghost. Now I'm molding them, and I'm training them to conform to his image in their walk. He reproves with all long-suffering and gentleness and mercy. That's God. Oh, my. He chastens with nail-scarred hands. 
He doesn't discipline with a big old whip. No, he disciplines with nail scars, hands showing you, I know what it's like. I know the pain that you're going through. I know the hurt. I have been there. They crucified me. I know the rejection you're facing. I know exactly what you're going through. That's why my discipline is perfect. Sometimes this potter must take a vessel he's working on and thoroughly break it down in order that he may rebuild it exactly as he desires it. Oh, Lord, help us not to look to the man in gay clothing and look and say, oh, build him up when God's trying to say, I'm trying to break him down. Sorry, should I change that word? The man in nice clothing. We don't want to give place to that. When we we undermine what God's trying to do, but rather we want to give place. Say, Lord, what's your will in every situation? What's your will in this situation? We want to seek his mind diligently. I don't care what it is. If it's just some kind of function or if it's some kind of great evangelistic service or if it's just your job, we ought to seek him in every situation and say, Lord, what would you have for us? It's his love. He breaks people down by his love. That is his love. Another way of his love there is not and there cannot be. He would speak in the message, that great warrior David, he'd say, notice, David was called by election. He was elected, called, anointed, and placed. Think about it, David was elected. David knew his purpose. David was anointed by God to do what he was going to do. But he was so confident that it wasn't his plan, it was God's plan. That even when God delivered Saul into his hand, he said, far be it from me. To touch another of God's anointed because he's the king right now. And if God could raise him up, God will tear him down and he will raise me up in due time. I don't want to intervene. Oh my, elected by God, called from sheep herding to be the king, anointed and positionally placed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, there's so many examples. Abraham, election, Isaac, justification, Jacob, grace, Joseph, perfection. Are you a David tonight? Called, elected first by God. How many Christians are here? Every hand should have gone up right there. How many Christians are here? That's better. You're not a Christian by your desire. Say, but I like it, Brother Andrew. I like coming to church and sitting in hard wooden pews for hours when there's no air conditioning, got the windows blowing through, and I'm just waiting for the right kind of breeze. I like it. Really? You're not a Christian by your desire. You're a Christian by God's desire. No man can come to me except my father draw him. You were elected by God before the foundation of the world as a Christian. No man can come to me except my father calls him first. First thing you were elected, called, and when God elected you, then he called you and you heeded his call. And he poured the anointing oil on you, the Holy Ghost. Oh, think about this. He didn't just pour a little bit. He said he poured the oil upon him. It went all over him. 
the whole horn of it, not sparingly. That's the way God pours the Holy Ghost on a man, not sparingly, just baptizes him with it, anointing him with the Spirit. Oh, Lord, if we had too many sprinklings where we're happy with just a tinkle, tinkle, and just a little here and there, I'd be more interested in God taking the whole bucket and pouring it out. I'd be more interested in him opening up the windows of heaven and just let us have it. Drown me in the love of God. Drown me in the anointing of God. Hallelujah. Let him pour the whole horn out, the whole power. That's what the Lord power. Let him pour all the power out so that God give me the faith to use that power as he sees fit. Hallelujah. In the message Invisible Union, Brother Brown, I'm going to start out in paragraph 268. You say, oh, the spiritual union of Christ and his church now. When the flesh is becoming word and the word is becoming flesh, manifested and vindicated. Oh my, let's unpackage that for a bit, shall we? Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If I could even find it, my goodness. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Here we go. I'm Solomon. My goodness, I didn't put it in my notes because I'd forced myself to find it, and now I've got to go find it. The joys of studying on electronics. And moreover, verse 16, yes, by the way, I still pick up my Bible and read it. Amen. Just in case someone was thinking evil of me right there. I still get to pick up my Bible, I still read it. But I study on a little piece of electronic because it's quicker. And there's still only 24 hours in a day. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16 says it this way. Moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment. The wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness, that iniquity, was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. And there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Oh my, there's a lot said in that verse right there. He'll judge the righteous and the wicked. No one's going to escape judgment. But it is a time for every work. There's a time for every purpose. And I said in mine heart, according concerning the estate of these sons of man, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. And that, and that, that, which, befell, and that which befalleth the sons of man befalleth beasts. Even one thing, even one thing befalleth them as the one dieth. And so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place, all are but dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? 
So here he begins to divide and he begins to take the, what, what, that the God will not only judge the righteous, but he'll judge the wicked, not only the wicked, but the righteous. He'll judge the both, but to everything there is a purpose and there is a season. And God is doing everything according to his purpose because he has a purpose that will stand in election. And that God foresaw before the foundation of the world and he's saying the sons of man, they're no better than beasts. You want to take it and you want to look out and you want to see what's going on in the world today. It's no better than beast. That is our first nature, a serpent nature. It's just a beast, but it takes something more than that because without the Holy Ghost, without something in man to bring the Spirit up, all that you have is the works of your hands. But in John chapter 3 and verse 16, stay with me. John chapter 3 and verse 16, we know this scripture off by heart, but it would write in here that God so loved the world. Hallelujah. It wasn't just Solomon so loved the world. David so loved the world. Abraham so loved the world. No, God so loved the world. Which world? It wasn't the world that we're living in all around us. It was the world that he created. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The purpose of loving the world was reconciliation. To bring the world back to as it was in its original condition. And in the next verse, brother, uh, brother Danny, it says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That God, that light is come into the world. And man loved darkness rather than light because their deeds we're evil. God in simplicity. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. What does the light do? As many as I love, I rebuke, I repuve, reprove, and I chasten. What does the light do? It brings it to light, exposes the darkness. He says, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So now, oh my, you take that with Solomon, where Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes, and he's saying, listen, what else do we have to be proud of but our works? Because no one's going to take us back to say, you could do more, you could do more. Once you're dead, you're dead. But do what you can do today, because man's no better than a beast. But here comes Jesus, the Son of God, a greater than Solomon. Hallelujah, greater than Solomon. He takes it a step farther. He wasn't there to do away with the law. He was there to magnify the law. And he says, listen, the light, if your deeds are truth, the light will manifest it and it will glorify you. But those whose deeds are false, they are scared of the light because it reproves them. That's why I said it on Friday night. No wonder there's people trying to disprove the cloud. Jesus in a white wig. Judgment. If your if your deeds are evil, 
If my deeds were evil, I'd be doing everything I could to disprove it. I'll just be honest with you. Because that's a scary thought. Judgment and I'm an evil person. God have mercy. But listen, John would look at it. And he would continue from John 3 and into 1 John and begin to preach God is love. That's what John could say when he's seen the life and the passion of Christ. He's seen the words of God and through Christ. And he began to look at it filled with the Holy Ghost as he began to write in 1 John. and began to say, God is love. If you love God, then you've got to love one another. Because if God is in you, then you have to love. Because God is love. But we know John's experiences didn't stop there because Jesus said, what is it to you if he tarries till I come? And he showed John on the Isle of Patmos a great vision. And he began to show him things. And in John chapter 1, John 1, 1 John 1, there we go. He would begin to, to speak and he would also say, God is light. Something he began to say beyond this where he said, now I understand what Jesus was talking about when he said you come into the light. It's not just God so loved the world, but the love brings the light. Oh my. As he would say in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, he said, then this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's a real new birth. There is no darkness at all. And he says, if you say you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, you lie. That's a far cry from coming. God is love. Here's God is love. God is love. But if you're saying you're in, you're in light when you're in darkness, you're a liar. And do not the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, hallelujah. And he would see it on the Isle of Patmos where he would look at, oh my, forgive me for moving fast. I got so much hay on my fork and I don't, I'm trying to just make it clear. Are we with me still? He would say in Revelations chapter 21 and verse 23, he'd say, and the city had no need of the sun. What a vision. What's something to be caught up there into the heavens and see the new Jerusalem. And he began to see something. It doesn't even need the sun anymore. Neither the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. Only the one he could come and say, in him is no darkness at all. He is light. God is light. And he's saying, man of the manifestation of the spoken word of God being made manifest light of the hour. This is in the message Shalom in 1964. The manifestation of the spoken word of God being made manifest is light of the hour. Certainly there is what the evidence of the Holy Spirit is. Oh catch this. Believing the word of God when it's manifested. He was the word manifested, Jesus, and some of them denied it, laughed at it, made fun of it, called him a fortune teller, some evil spirit. There is evidence speaking in tongues. There is evidence of the fruits. Those are all evidence, but the only evidence there is is when a man believes the written word and when it's vindicated and you walk in the light of it. Jesus was the light of the hour because he was the promised word for the hour catch that for the hour 
Jesus, for his hour, was the promised word. And he's still Jesus Christ today, but he's no longer God with us. He's God in us. And what happened? He brought himself out in a greater light. But he came through a message of the seventh messenger. When he came through the message of a prophet named William Bradham, it was God again. That God, that was the light of God that, was, that is now manifest in this hour. That it wasn't good enough anymore to say, oh God so loved the world, I believe that. You had to take the light for the day. And without the light for the day, there is no new birth because that is the manifestation of the word in this hour. You could take it right back to Mark chapter 13, for he says, For in those days shall there be affliction. And if you jump right down, let's go down to verse uh, 20. One, and he says, and then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is here, believe him not. There's been a lot of people say, I got this gift, I got that, I got that. This is Christ, that is Christ. We know he preached false anointed ones at the end time. But now if you come down, he says, don't believe him. There will be false Christ, false prophets that will show signs and wonders. It won't just be someone out in the desert crying, over here. There'll be signs, there'll be wonders. Don't believe them. But take heed. Behold, I have told you all things. Plenty of people can say this is Christ or that is Christ. They can say, I got born again. I got a sensation. I cleaned up my life. I spoke in tongues. My desires changed. I had an experience. Those things are good. And all those things can and will happen when you get the new birth. But every one of those can also be counterfeited. You could fake a desire change. You could have a sensation. Brother Brown says, I've seen demons speak in tongues, devils speak in tongues, people possessed with an evil spirit. I see witch doctors do it. I've seen them have uh, right pen right up and write in unspoken tongues and them interpret it. An impersonation, a counterfeit. See people with signs, blood in their hands, oil over here, this over there, that over there. You got people with discernment not 100% accurate. You got all kinds of things going on. But there is one. Oh my, when you believe that God is light. That's the simplest version of it I can say. When you believe that God is light, because light only shines as long as there is power there to produce the light. When the power leaves, the light goes out. Just flick that switch off for a minute, brother. You'll know right away there's no more light. What are they so concerned about in the sun going out in a billion years? They're concerned about the power going out. Let there be would be no more light. But God is light. And God's light is not a flashlight. It's not an electric light or a fire light or sunlight or cosmic light. God's light is eternal light. How can light come from darkness if God is not there? There might be rain falling and gifts manifested among the unjust because Joel speaks of it. 
But if light comes in to stay, darkness can't be there anymore. You want the best understanding possible for, for, for the manifestation of gifts and denominations? Go read Genesis chapter 24. Because you'll find out that's the call of Rebekah. But you'll find out when Eliezer got down there in verse 53 of Genesis chapter 24, said in the servant, Eliezer brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave her brother and her mother. Her brother and her mother were not elected. They did not fulfill the vision. They were not the bride, but they got gifts. Hallelujah. They were thankful for them and they rejoiced in them. And I'm sure they had a wonderful time because we find out Laban afterwards was a very rich man. When Jacob went and found him. But that wasn't the important thing. There was one woman that was called, that was elected, that got on the camel. That rode through the power that was given her. One got the power of the Holy Ghost. One watered that camel with the word of God. The unadulterated word straight from the well. One went with the prophet. One met Isaac. Says this. The Brown says, the message through as we would see Jesus, he said, that was the light of creation, a mortal creation, which must fall. But this word was life eternal and light eternal. This word. And when a man believed that, he had eternal light. Hallelujah. He said, I got cosmic light. I got this light. I've heard doctrines around cosmic light. But let me tell you something. God is eternal light. It goes far more beyond the cosmic. Light of those, uh, of those that sat in the regions of the shadows of death. Matthew 4 says, bring light to the Gentiles who were possessed and condemned by God in their idols. But he came as a light. In other words, the Gentiles in times past, well, were we heathens? We were in darkness, gross darkness, condemned of God. But God came down in one form, light. And what did it do? It exposed the error. Hallelujah. What did he say? The word is a light to my path. A light to lighten the path. A lamp to my feet to guide me. And today, the light of God is the word of God made manifest. There you have it. The light of God is the word of God made manifest. It's not just the word of God that we can look at and say he was God of yesterday, but he's still God today. The word of God that was made manifest in Malachi 4, 5. The word of God that was made manifest in Revelation 10, 7. The word of God that was made manifest in Hebrews 13, 8. The word of God that was made manifest all throughout the scripture that now pertains to today. Jesus, when he was on earth, fulfilled how many dozens of scriptures because he was the word of God made manifest. The message for this day fulfilled how many scriptures? Because it is the word of God made manifest, making it the light of the day. The light of God and the light made manifest. The light is the works of God, spoken by the word of God, brought to life. And it's a greater light than it was at the dawn of creation. (laughs) That's as soon as we would see Jesus. You can go let us do it for yourself. Brother Brown says that God's light, eternal light, didn't start when God said, let there be light. 
quiet. It didn't start then. It's greater than that light. It's greater than that light. The problem is that was the light we could see with these eyes. When God said, let there be light, he created a dimension of light so that we could see it and we could live in this mortal flesh so that God could have fellowship with living, breathing beings. But the God that is light is his word is light. And when he speaks, it's made manifest. That's why the first thing he created in order to bring, uh, in order to bring order out of the chaos was that he spoke in the very first thing, let there be light. Because in the beginning, you could read it. We'll read it. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, now we've had Revelation 21, and now we're back in Genesis 1, so this is great. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without, was without form and was void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. There you have it. There wasn't a lot of order. It was void. It was darkness. It was without form. But it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. When did God speak? Right there. Let there be light. The first thing he brought out was there had to be something to bring order out of chaos. And it was light to expose the error. Amen. Questions and answers. Number two, 1964. Brother Branham says, on top of Mount Zion, we'll set the lamb. The city will need no light. The lamb is the light thereof. And above the Lamb will be the Father, which is the Logos, God, the great light, the eternal light that will shine just above the throne. Jesus will not be on his Father's throne. He'll be on his throne. And the Father will hover over the Son, which the Father and the Son will be one. Oh, and while we're yet speaking, I'll answer when they think I'm thinking for them. What will it be over there? We'll be able to be in the presence of that light that is greater than the light you're seeing me by today. The purest form of light. Oh my, just what the Bible said would happen in this day. It's happening day by day. That's in 1965, November, in the visible union of the bride. Brother Brown makes that statement. Just exactly what the Bible would have said would happen in this day. It's happening day by day. And why it's accumulating so fast out there in those deserts and things taking place that I couldn't even keep up with it. <laughs> if that ain't so today. Things are happening so fast and the time clock is ticking so fast you can't even keep up with all the news, all the things that are going on in the stock market, the housing market, the this market, the that market. It doesn't matter. It's moving so fast. Up and down, up and down. One moment you're rich, the next moment you're poor. One moment you're happy, the next moment you're sad. Everything's just a giant roller coaster. He said, but that's not what we're here for. He says, listen, we're nearing the coming of Jesus to be united with his church where the word becomes the word. <laughs> what a paradox. Call of the Holy Spirit searching the hearts. Oh, do you believe it? Will you give me a few more minutes? The light eternal is still shining on the hearts of man. But many are in condemnation because they prefer their ideas of darkness to the light. But when the light of the hour hits the seed, as long as the power of God is living through this message, the message of Malachi 4, then it is still the light of the hour. 
It still has the power to transform lives. It still calls sinners to repentance. It still brings the seed of God to life. And in it lies the faith that is being wielded by believers that will be used to bring about the body change. Not just in the scriptures, but in the spoken word of Malachi 4. God is light. And this message has the power because it's God today. And that light manifested is the spoken word of God today, producing the same works that Jesus did when he was the light made manifest. He said, the same works will you do, and greater than these shall you do. If it's not producing the same works today, we should move on. But the thing of it is, it absolutely is producing the same works that Jesus did. Because when you come and pray, you get prayed for when you approach it with faith and you're healed. Hallelujah. There's so many more works that it could take a person with all kinds of messed up ideas and transform them into a son of God. A daughter of God. That it could take a prostitute. And still marvel at it over in Ethiopia. This message could take a prostitute and turn her into a lady. A saint of God. It's still doing it today. The same God that went and spoke to a woman at the well. Oh my, the same God that took Mary Magdalena, cast seven devils out of her. The same God. The same God that stood there to a woman that came up and said, you've lived unfaithful to your husband and your husband's lived unfaithful to you and they go back and change their lives before God and repent and change them right there. What's going on? It's the same God today that can take an ill-famed woman and change her around. Brother Brown says that's the lowest thing. An ill-famed woman. But he says, oh, this gospel could change it right around and make her a real godly saint. A man that's born of God, a son of God, has to have the nature of God. He has to be like God. He honors God. He is part of the word of God. And in his last days of this bride taking form, just exactly the same power that he was in the beginning has come up through these organizations and so forth and come out for the bride. He can't do nothing else but that. Why? Because his purpose must stand according to election. He can't choose a different way. Hallelujah. If he called you in the beginning, he can't turn his back on you. Oh, we like to turn our back on him, but he'll never turn his back on you. He can't turn his back on you because he elected you. Hallelujah. He chose you before the foundation of the world, and that is his purpose that he could bring you. Is there anybody in here still questioning why the devil fights you so hard? Because he's trying to prove that God's a liar. He's trying to make God's purpose fail. He's trying because if he could discredit God, he could take God's place. But praise be to God, all that the Father hath given me will come to me. And I will not lose one of them. Amen. 
as they ought to have seen it, the Jews in their days, when they seen it manifested there before them, as the prophets had said, he said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. The manifested light always produces the works. Let there be light. And it happened. The Word was made flesh, and the light shone into the darkness and performed exactly what he said it would do. So go and wait for me. Go wait in an upper room. Go wait, and I will endure you with power from on high. Did he do it? Absolutely. What did they see? Tongues of fire. Light. The light came into a little Kentucky log cabin. The light appeared over the Ohio River. The light had its picture taken in Houston. And it did the same works. What about today? Another book of Acts is being written. We're here to produce the same works. As Brother Benham said, that if a tree, that tree ever puts forth another branch, it'll produce the same fruit as the original. Hallelujah. But though you can't believe me, believe the works that I've done. Oh, they all had their excuses. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Where are they at? Our fathers had great revival meetings. Where are they at today? Happened to see the other day was, oh my, a man that ended up was an angel of the Lord, is an angel of the Lord. Ends up on a talk show. Talking with a talk show in Hollywood. I thought, oh Lord, where, where are they at? They've come to that place. It's come so much like the world. Oh, we had this, we had that. We're not looking back to Brother Branham. Because if you can't see Christ in this message, you missed it. If you're looking at the message and you're listening to Invisible Union and you're seeing William Branham, if you're seeing my life story and you're busy looking at William Branham, you're missing it. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord. Eliezer didn't come down to Rebecca and say, hey, look at me. He came down and said, there's a man. <laughs> there's an Isaac. I'm here to tell you about him. Just like there was a man that was born in a little Kentucky cabin. He was born down there under a sign. He came to the Ohio River and he came. He was baptizing and the light came down. He was stood in the Houston Coliseum and the light came down as his picture taken. What was the point? I'm here to tell you about a man. I'm going to tell you about a God that has come down to deliver you. That you don't have to live this way anymore. That your old book of divorcement is gone. That old nature that you sin, you never sinned in the first place. God don't even know it. It's in the sea of his forgetfulness. You never did it. You were accused by the accuser. But really from the beginning you were predestinated to be the sons and daughters of God. 
Hallelujah. Who could say words like that but a prophet messenger? Who could say words like that? It couldn't take just a great preacher. It took a man with thus saith the Lord. To come down and say words like, you are the virtuous bride of Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, precious, virtuous, sinless son of God, standing with a pure, unadulterated bride word. Oh, hallelujah, that there he was at the cross, his side was pierced, showing that the feminine was taken out of him. But now he's come back into unity with the feminine again. Oh, praise be to God. Let's stand to our feet. If I don't stop here, I'm going to preach all night. Oh my, what is sin? Sin is unbelief. Unbelief in what? The Word. Unbelief in God, which is the Word, but pure, unadulterated, hallelujah, leaving soon for the skies, standing ready. Think your garments, not these, your spiritual garments are washed in the water of the bleeding Word. The Word became blood. The Word bled for you. You are washed in the bleeding Word. The Word bleeding the life of God in the Word. And the Word was bled for you. That you might be washed from the filth of these prostitutes. And be clean and sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. It makes your mind and heart stay on God and on His Word. Hallelujah. It takes it right out of our faults, right out of our hands. We say, well, I've got so many failures. I've got so much of this and so much of that. Take it right out of that and say, it's not my purpose. It's God's purpose. It's not my plan. It's God's plan. It's not my election. It's God's election. Hallelujah. Let me leave you with one more thing because I said it at the first. It ain't about who starts. Hallelujah. There might have been some fine people fall away. Good preachers. Good people. They might have come and might have left. But it ain't about who started. It's about who finishes. It ain't about who got on the road and walked a certain distance. And said, I'll walk with you from mile marker 1 to mile marker 53. It ain't about that. It's about going to the end of the road. It's about getting to the finish line. Praise be to God. It ain't about how many detours you took. Some of us took some big ones. Some took some big ones. They decided the race got boring and they went out that way and they came back. That's called the prodigal. And they went out that way and they come back this way. And oh my, there might have been some huge detours, but it's not about that. It's about the fact that it's God's plan, it's God's purpose, and he's, it's his business to see that you make it in the end. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful to God this isn't a downhill ski race. They got all the wickets that you got to hit every single one of them. No, sir. It's just down the hill. But the problem is it ain't down the hill. It's up the hill. It ain't a downhill race to see how fast we can get down. It's how fast we can get up. How fast we can get to Zion. How fast we can get there. And it ain't even about how fast. It's about getting there. You might have to crawl. You might have to army crawl. You might have to just take one arm at a time. One more arm. As slow as can be. And there's a young brother that just goes running past you. 
Hey, God, I wish I was like that, man. But you're making it. Guess what? The race isn't over till the last one crosses the finish line. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's like a marathon. The race isn't over because the first man finished. The race is only over when everybody's done. When the last one comes in, then God says, now it's done. Close the door. <laughs> oh, God is so great, isn't he? How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? The splendor of a king. Go ahead, Brother John. Of a king Clothed in majesty Let's just worship him again tonight. Let all the earth rejoice. We thank you, Lord, for your election. All the earth rejoice. Thank you that you loved me before I was ever born. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide it trembles at his voice he trembles at his voice but how great is our God sing with me how great is our God say something before we sing this next verse if you put it up there brother unveiled before our eyes is the masterpiece of Christ it's God's light shining down I just need to make it uber clear to you tonight so you can understand you don't have to live with the old sin you don't have to keep trying to pay for that and trying to say God I need to do better I need to do better you just need to relax and let God have his way you need to surrender to him and allow him to have full control you need to be able to let go of the old man because God has written that off as a divorcement and it never even happened in the first place and it's in the sea of his forgetfulness don't ever bring it up again Amen. it's over it's over I want you to tell the devil that tonight. It's over. Tell him again, it's over. I'm not going back to that old way anymore. My relationship with you, devil, it's over. Hallelujah. Because God has showed himself to me. It's a personal revelation. It's just me and him. The devil, he's not privy to that.
He knows it's true, but I can tell you this. It's a personal, so personal between you and God. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even understand just how deep that relationship goes. Because when the seventh seal was revealed, it was silence. <laughs> Hallelujah. The devil didn't have a clue and still doesn't. Because the darkness has to hide from the light. He can't even look into it. Oh, hallelujah. Unveil before our eyes. Oh, it's the masterpiece of Christ. His love beyond compare. His love beyond compare. It was his choosing. He chose himself a bride. She was taken from his side. Side. 